This week at Hope Point. We have couples who are unhappy in their marriage. We have parents who are raising children in the process of strong rebellion. We have people who struggle with addiction. We have people who say dumb things and mean things. We have people who should give more and serve more. We have people who struggle with gossip and complaining. We have people who struggle with depression and doubt. It's who we are. But in almost every situation that I just described, I don't know of anybody who doesn't come here with the begging prayer of their life, oh God, change me. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. Most of us throughout our lives have heard stories of uh, near-death experiences, or actually, I guess where people sort of had died on a operating table or something. And then later you hear books coming out, essays where people describe what they saw, <clears throat> claiming that they had entered heaven for a while. And you read these things and you're probably tending to be skeptical of those accounts. And you should be, you should be because I don't think any of them have, have occurred. I may have missed one or two stories along the way, but almost all of the stories that I've read uh, people talk about light, they talk about warmth, they talk about, they may talk about people, but none of these great experiences that people had mention anything about Jesus Christ on his throne, God the Father on, on his throne. Mitch Album wrote a book several years ago called The Five People You Meet in Heaven, and he describes that his whole journey on earth was fairly depressing until he went to heaven had a vision of dying and going to heaven. And five people there told him how much his life had influenced them on earth, even though he didn't know it. And that caused his heart to be full of acceptance and love. And yet he never once mentioned God. The only person whose acceptance and love is life-changing. So how could he have seen heaven and not seen God? It's like going to a palace of a king and only talking about the tableware. So you go to Revelation, the book in the Bible that talks about heaven in detail and all it talks about is God. All it talks is about his glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. We're gonna be in chapter 21 today. I imagine some of you are new. If you are, I wanna sort of give you an overview of what chapter 21 is about. The events of Revelation 21 occur after this present world has been destroyed and after God has judged all evil and rebellion. That paves the way for the second point. After this judgment, God will create a new earth. The geographical center of this new earth will be a beautiful city that God has been building in heaven and comes down to the new earth. This new city on this new earth is also called, so the new city is also called the bride of the lamb. And then, uh, so bride refers to the church that'll be brought into a perfect relationship with Jesus Christ who's called the lamb because of the sacrifice of his body on the cross for the world's sin. So with that, let's start Revelation 21, verse nine. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last plagues came and said, come, I will show you the bride, 
the wife of the lamb. So now with my little introduction, you understand we're talking about the church being brought into perfect relationship uh, with Christ the groom and the church here is called uh, a bride. You really can't understand and appreciate how glorious this event is until you reflect back on how hard it was for us, the church, to get there. You remember John dedicated two full chapters to not this woman, not this bride, but a false bride, another woman, and he described, we looked at her a lot in two chapters. This will be a good summary in chapter 17. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute. With her, the kings of the earth had committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous, God-hating, God-cursing names and had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. So you're gonna see the woman in Revelation 21 also decked out in beautiful stones and pearls as well. The first woman was a false bride. The second woman was a true bride. So you can understand why we had to spend so much time earlier looking at chapter 17 and 18, uh, the false bride, uh, the disloyal uh, conglomer conglomeration of the world, married to the Antichrist, the beast, a worker of Satan, uh, compared with the true bride, the church, married to the only one who ultimately loves us is Jesus Christ. These two comparisons are huge in the book because the ultimate question that everybody is asking in life is this, where's the safest and most satisfying place to be? In the arms of the beast as his prostitute or in the arms of Jesus as his bride? And daily people in this city and nation are asking and answering that question, do I want to be part of the, with the, the false woman, the false bride, and belong to evil, or do I want to belong to the church married to Jesus, to Jesus Christ? Let's keep reading as John further tells us about this bride city. 21.10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So uh, John has seen many glorious things in this book, but now the spirit lifts him up, high mountain, because this is the best thing he's gonna see, and that is the church finally brought to Jesus. And John is gonna frustrate you <laughs> because he switches metaphors on us. He had called the church a bride. Now he calls the church a city. <laughs> you say, well, how can he do that? Well, when you are a Bible writer, you can make up the rules. I can't switch metaphors like that, but inspired by God, you can do that. So you just need to understand, whenever you're seeing this description of the city, he's describing the perfected church in heaven, not just where she lives in uh, heaven on earth, new earth, but how she, how she looks. You say, well, why do you switch metaphors? Uh, I think it'll be maybe more clear later, but 
maybe an answer right now is, I mean, he's describing the beauty of the bride, maybe to capture the attention of men a little bit more. He's going to talk about the church now as a beautiful city. Get some masculine talk in here, not just a beautiful wedding dress, but a beautiful city. And maybe also a city makes sense because when you talk about, um, you know, a beautiful city, cities are only beautiful because of people and you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to go to a city with great buildings and sparkly lights if there were no people there, none. And then also you wouldn't want to go to a city if it was filled with evil people. So it makes sense he's talking about people, the bride, and the city at the same time. Now let's look at this city. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of, of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it its light and the lamp is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. So once again, if you are given a vision of heaven, you're gonna see God the Father and Christ shining. That's what happens when you see heaven you see the one who is responsible for all joy, the responsible for all glory. You know, these two chapters in Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, don't really tell us a lot about what we're gonna be doing in heaven. I know that drives some of you crazy. Now, we know that hundreds could be happy because lots of singing. We saw that, lots of singing. Then there's a mention also earlier in the book, chapter five, we'll be serving God, so that sounds like maybe there's work, task that he would assign us that are obviously fulfilling. So we got that. But, but apart from that, there's not a lot of mention of what we're going to be doing there. There's a lot of emphasis on what we look like there. But I don't think we should discount what we're going to do. It is, after all, called a new earth. So I think it's fair to use a baptized imagination and think about you know, that if on this earth you enjoyed rope swings and trampolines and mountain hikes and baseball games, gardening and golfing, running and climbing and uh, creating and arranging, I think it's okay to say, I think those things and even better version of those things would be done on a new earth. But again, that's not really the focus of heaven. It's that our joy is really gonna be on finally what we look like. And that's how John starts off in verse 11. We're, we're shining with the glory of God. Its brilliance is like that of a very precious jewel like jasper. Clear, it's important, clear as crystal because that's odd for jewels to be completely clear. And then another statement of clarity, of its, of its clarity, the great street of the city. How about that? The great street of the city was gold as pure as transparent glass. You can't imagine a block of gold being gold and clear, but it is. And then the sun shines on 
uh, or the, the glory of God shines on everything. So the, the wonder of heaven is that the glory of God, his, his beauty, because that's really what glory is. If you added up all of God's perfections, all of his attributes, power, mercy, holiness, added them all up, the beauty of the summation of all that is in God would be his glory. See, another way of saying glory is beauty. The, the fullness of his beauty is shining out from his throne into us and through us, and it's a perfect shining, and it's clear all through us because there's nothing for the first time in our life to impede the glory of God. Perfect holiness, perfectly shining through us, and not only are we beautiful as God is beautiful, we are joyful as God is beautiful because all that makes him happy, his glory, is now perfectly residing in us. So this is, this is why we're beautiful and this is why we're joyful. And that's going to happen in heaven. Perfect. I, I love chapter 21 and 22 because of that. Like it finally happens. I was speaking to a group of college students a few weeks ago, and they asked me to like, give a few reasons I believe the Bible is the word of God. And one of the reasons I gave is because of the Bible's honesty. It's transparency. You have skeletons in your closet I bet you've never told anybody about, personally or in your family. And the Bible tells us about all the skeletons in the closet of God's people. And I love that. It's what makes me believe if I'm trying to write a book to deceive people, I'm not going to write a book about God's people don't love him. But that's what the whole book is about. That we, we struggle to love him all the time, fully. You remember how, so chapter 21 and 22 end glorious, but the book did not begin well. Chapter two and three describes seven, seven churches, describes seven churches and five of them were very disloyal to God. And so when you, you go all the way from chapters two and three, you say, how in the world are those churches gonna make it? They make it. And now those churches, those Christians in chapters two and three are perfected, full, perfectly full of the glory of God and the joy of God in, in heaven. So I would think from what I've, in my witnessing, trying to share Christ, the number one reason that people have told me that they are not interested in Christianity is because the church is flawed. And my response to those individuals is, why in the world would you ever expect the church not to be flawed? Because everybody in this building today is just like the people outside born into this world with massive amounts of flaws and we have heard the gospel, have received forgiveness from Jesus Christ, been filled with this Holy Spirit in order to try to, to move against those flaws and have God lessen the impact and the, the tyranny of those flaws in our life. But all the way to heaven, we're going to still be flawed people that fall down. The difference between those who gather for church and those who don't is all in the word desire. 
You come to church because you desire for God to give you power, motivation, joy through the filling of the Holy Spirit that comes through singing and teaching so that you might have his power to overcome, increasingly overcome those flaws. But the world doesn't desire that. That's why the world doesn't come. Not because we're flawed. The world doesn't desire to come in here because they have no desire to get rid of their flaws. They intend to stay flawed. We are hoping, oh God, change me that I will not be so flawed. So when I hear people say, I don't want to come to church because it's flawed, what I'm really hearing them say is, I can't be a part of God's bride because of its flaws, but I can be a part of Satan's bride with its flaws. You're just not going to get away from flaws in this world. They don't want to be part of a flawed church because they don't want to leave their, their flaws. Just a few minutes ago in our welcome, Fudd said that he would like for you to consider coming to discovery class to find out what the church is about. And we want you to do that with all of our hearts and would love for you to join. But before you do, I just want to, breaking news to you, if you're considering joining this church, let me warn you, we are severely flawed. We have couples who are unhappy in their marriage. We have parents who are raising children in the process of strong rebellion. We have people who struggle with addiction. We have people who say dumb things and mean things. We have people who should give more and serve more. We have people who struggle with gossip and complaining. We have people who struggle with depression and doubt. That's who we are. But in almost every situation that I just described, I don't know of anybody who doesn't come here with the begging prayer of their life, oh God, change me. I don't like my flaws. I, I want to be filled with the Spirit, God. I want to honor the sacrifice of Christ. I want to live for your pleasure. I want to overflow with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to be on mission with God. I want my life to count. I don't want to waste my life. Everybody that I know that's here says that even if they don't live it out tomorrow. So if your reason for rejecting Christ is because his church is flawed, I just would lovingly say to you, get over it. Because we never claimed to be without flaw. We just claim to be holding on to Jesus who promises us by his mercy and goodness that he will cause us to arrive one day in the new city on the new earth and there he will cause us to be flawless with his glory. And that's why we love the book of Revelation. It shows us it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen there in chapter 21. God's glory, just driving out everything and nothing in our life, clear, transparent, holy God looking at all of us and seeing nothing but his glory. And not only does that cause us to be beautiful, I said it before, it causes us to be overflowing with joy because I'm telling you, you say, if you're longing for, you got a longing in your heart now, I know what you, you, 
Every longing in life is a longing for God. You may not know that. You are longing for beauty, pleasure. In other words, you're longing for glory, his glory. And you may not use those terms, but every longing is going to be fulfilled in heaven because we're going to be perfectly beautiful with the glory of God, and that's going to finally satisfy every longing of our life. And that's why Jesus prayed on the last night of his life, this is life. This is life. They may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's life, is to know, to know God. Like I said, I think there's going to be lots of secondary pleasures in heaven. Uh, you know, like things you like to do on earth. Now, I think for those of you who like to clean, you're out of luck. <laughs> but apart from that, I think there's going to be lots of secondary pleasures in heaven. But even in the secondary pleasures, they are going to cause us to look back and see that those pleasures are flowing out of the goodness and mercy of God, which is going to only increase our joy in loving him and saying hallelujah for those pleasures. So right now you have a world that thinks that uh, the answer in life is diminishing and covering over, eradicating the glory of God, because that's where joy is, less God. And then you look at Revelation 21 and 22, you see the ultimate joy and infinite joy is found in more glory of God. So I would just look at the world right now and say, the more world that you are trying to vanquish the glory of God, how's it going for you in regard to joy? You're just creating chaos, pain, sorrow, because you're you're trying to cover the very thing that produces joy, and that is the shining out of the glory of God. Revelation 21, 12, more descriptions of this city bride. The city had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the, on the west. So, uh, you know, so why, why would the... Old Testament, you know, tribes of Israel be there because everything in the Old Testament, when God got ready to speak to the world, he chose out of all the nations of the world, he said, I'm going to tell the world who I am, my values. I'm going to speak to the world through the nation of Israel. So he gave them the Ten Commandments. Through the Ten Commandments, we saw that there's only one God. He should be treated as holy and how that holiness works out with relationships and and uh, then through the uh, God's working with Israel, uh, he established a system of ceremony and sacrifice where if you did fail to obey the Ten Commandments, you were to bring a lamb to a priest and the lamb would be slaughtered and your sins would be uh, atoned for. So everything that God wanted to reveal about himself to the world was through Israel. And even since Israel demonstrated that through, even through all of those laws and the sacrifices, Israel demonstrated they still did not have a heart for God. His plan didn't fail because he was just using all of that as a setup to bring us to the New Testament where all of those lamb sacrifices would point to the one ruler, servant from heaven, Jesus Christ, Son of God, who would come give his life on the cross as a lamb for the ultimate forgiveness of our sins. So that's why Israel is there, that everything God wanted to do and set up his message in the New Testament was begun 
through. And there were believers in these 12 tribes. So their, their names were there. They played an important role. There's other names written there in heaven. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So once Christ came, he deposited his message of salvation through his life, death, and resurrection into the hands of 12 disciples called apostles. And they taught others, and the word of God spread all over the world, even to you today, uh, because of those 12. And so that's why their names are written. And it's interesting that they are, their names are written, uh, the foundation of these huge walls in heaven are on the apostles. Not because they're strong men. They're, they're like me. You're, you're listening today, a very weak man teaching, but what I'm saying to you from the Bible is strong because it points to Christ. So that's why they get to have that honor. Their teaching was strong, even when their, their lives were, were weak. More architectural description. Revelation 21, 15 uh, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, 12,000 wide, 12,000 high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 uh, feet, 144 cubits um, thick. Well, it's obvious at this point in Revelation that you say, wow, God is really into the number 12. Why? I don't know that answer. I, some of you are into biblical numerology, probably have a good answer. But you can see 12 apostles, 12 tribes, and this city is 12,000 that way, 12,000 that way, 12,000 that way. And even the wall is 144 cubits, which is 12 times 12. So a lot of 12s there. Don't really know exactly why the 12s, but I do know that this design of a cube is absolutely beautiful. I know, I think I can um, encourage you with why is, it is, why is the city in the shape of a cube? And you know a cube is 12 sides and all the sides are equal. So that's really sort of what the city looks like. It's, it looks like, you know, 12 sides that are all equal. But now the question is, why a cube? Why is the, the city where we're going to live forever a cube? I think that answer comes from the Old Testament. Oh, by the way, these are the numbers. If you were going to, uh, into, into measurements that we're familiar with. 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. That's a tall wall. Man, this is just beautiful. And so you say, why, why a cube? Here's my, my answer, my guess. Let's see. Shoot. There you go. That'll be good. In the Old Testament, God said, um, after he gave, you know, 10 commandments and all that, Make a tent for me, called a tabernacle, and I'm going to live in the back of that tent. And in the back of the tent, that back room, the upper right on your picture, is called the Holy of Holies, and it was shaped in a perfect cube, 15 
by 15 by 15. Now here's the command where God told the people to do this. I gotta go back because I think I, this is where he told them to build that tent for me. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God says, Moses, it's very important that you get this cube right because you are working off a pattern of the original. (laughs) So even in the Old Testament, God was trying to tell Moses, okay, I'm dwelling in this 15 by 15 by 15 tent now, but in Revelation 21, I'm gonna be uh, living in the middle of this city that is 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. I'm living in the center of that, of that city. Now, why is that important? Because in the Old Testament, only once a year was that priest allowed to go to that back room. You can read about that in Leviticus 16. Once a year, one man for just a few moments, could go in the cube. Then he had to leave, and nobody from the nation was allowed to go into, into the cube, into the Holy of Holies. And yet when you come to Revelation chapter 21, the entire city is a holy of holies, and we are allowed to live there forever in the presence of the same holy God who said, nobody in the Old Testament can approach me, but now everybody in the presence of a God who could see and does see every cell in my body, but in heaven I will be so gloriously perfect and filled with the glory and beauty of God, he will see nothing but himself. I get to live in the Holy of Holies forever. No separation that's what, that's what this verse means in 21 and 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There is no like place to go. Like we're gonna go to Hope Point. <laughs> we're gonna go to 1185 Asheville Highway. You don't go anywhere to worship in heaven. You're in the temple all the time because you're inside God all the time. This is crucial. Heaven is not just beholding and looking at God. It is entering into and living inside his essence. Some of you have vacationed in the Florida Keys. Uh, got your little trailer behind your truck. Drive down there. Maybe make it all the way down to Key Largo. Just think about this. Get outside, standing on the dock. You're looking at that crystal clear blue water, bluish water of the Keys then that's beautiful. But how much more exciting it is to put on a mask and snorkel and some scuba tanks and go down inside the water and to see the beauty there that you can't see from the surface. So yes, heaven would be great by itself if it were just looking at God. It's not that. It's living inside of the essence of God because he is the temple and you are welcome forever and ever to live inside of his glory. 
Now, the beauty of your shining in heaven, the beauty of this glory of God shining you is so important. God goes to elaborate detail to describe it in this chapter 21. This is talking about how you're going to look. Because remember, the city is the bride. So this is a description of you. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. Uh, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the, 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 or the seventh crystallite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh, <clears throat> and the twelfth amethyst. I don't know what that is, but so why is that? You know, why go to all this trouble? Why couldn't you say? And there's a bunch of jewels, because God's a God of individuals. Individuals come to him. You know, cities don't come to him. Nations don't come to him. Individuals come to him. He's describing individual people, individual beauty, individual members of his bride. And he made this clear in the Old Testament. I told you that, you know, the priest had access rights to the Holy of Holies and the priest was the only one who really did anything with the tent anyway. But it was one cool thing about the, the, the priest had pretty cool clothing back there. He, he, he didn't, didn't dress in blue jeans and a pullover. He did. He was really, really decked out. On his chest where it was, was this right here. It was, it was called a breast piece. It was over his heart, and it had 12 stones. Now, eight of those stones, at least eight, maybe more, but at least eight of those stones are found in the walls of heaven. I said, well, why is that important? Because of what these stones represented when the priest went inside the tent to pray for the people. He was to carry these stones with him over his heart. Why? God tells us. Exodus 39, there were 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the names of one of the tribes. It gets even better. Exodus 28, 29, whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece as a continuing memorial before the Lord. It was a message to all of the people that just as the people were on Aaron's heart, more so the people were on God's heart. It was just a symbol of saying that message. And, but now these stones People are, are no longer, there's no longer any separation. We're in this city, in these walls, inside God's glory. He's been working on this for centuries and for all of you know, history. He's been listening to our cries, listening to our requests for forgiveness, listening to our pleas for help. But you have to admit there is separation between you and the Lord, distance alone or whatever that's to say that. No more in Revelation 21, you're there inside the temple, inside God's glory. And so you who've been on his heart since eternity past are now not just on his heart, but in front of his eyes, inside his essence. Everything you feel, he perfectly feels, which he does now, but everything he feels, you perfectly feel. You see him and you're touched by him with, with glory. So... <clears throat> I think it's important for me to say, why would I say the stones in 
the walls of heaven or people, you, members of the church, I, I, I would go with a couple things. I don't have this verse on here, but Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he said, you church, oh, you individual, you are my crown. You're my reward. Like not money, not fame. My reward is a jewel, a person that I get to be happy about that I helped bring them to Christ. You are my reward, jewel. Better than that, in the Old Testament, as God was introducing himself to Israel, this is what he had to say about them through Moses. Deuteronomy 7, 6, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Now, some of you are, will remember this from a long time ago. That comes from the Hebrew word segula. So when a king, um, he's reigning over his kingdom and obviously crazy rich, crazy powerful, but beside his throne, many kings would keep their favorite jewels, their favorite stones in a box, and that was called his segula. And I guess on a hard day where decisions are hard for the kingdom, it just rubs his hand through these stones, just feels so pleasurable. And God said, you're my segula. You're my stones that bring me so much pleasure to bring inside my glory, inside my essence. You're my treasured possession, my segula. I, got, I received a, um, a picture during the inter, interlude, whatever we call it, in between services, uh, from uh, a friend, uh, y'all know her, Chip, her son Derek, blind, so obviously very, his sensory is, is his feel that's really, obviously hearing and feel, but she sent me a picture because Lisa and I know this because we, we, when Derek comes to my office, he does this. I have a, a bowl of rocks, beautiful multicolored rocks in my office. He just loves to rake his hand through them and he has so many rocks at most of the rocks in the world are at his house. <laughs> Beautiful colored rocks. And so Chip just sent me a picture of Derek raking his, because they love to go up to Hendersonville on his birthday. And watch Derek just rake his hand. This is, this is Segula talk right there. The pleasure that God has to bring you <clears throat> to heaven where you can see his glory and be touched by his glory. And that's what's going to bring you <clears throat> joy forever and ever. God's love for you, your enjoyment of God's love, nothing. Nothing at all ever in your life. You're perfectly transparent. Nothing. I mean, 24 hours a day, say, hey, look at my heart, look at my mind. Just beauty and glory all together. And by the way, this is the, the motivation for evangelism. People say, why hasn't God returned? Because he's putting more stones in the wall through our witness. You have the privilege of going out, sharing Christ, and you want to be a topaz in God's city wall, ruby, chrysolite, onyx. You want to live forever inside God's glory. That's what we get to do. That's why he hasn't come back yet. He's still working on the wall. Not ready. It's still somebody else. 
has not said yes to Christ. But our joy is so important to God, he promises to protect it forever and ever. Once we begin to experience this joy in heaven, which is unbelievable, look what he says here. Remember verse 17 about the wall itself? The angel measured the wall uh, using human measurement, and it was 114, 144 cubits thick, which is 216 feet thick. That is a thick wall. Because everybody knew in this day and age that a city depended on the strength of its walls. If you had no walls, you had no city be overrun by enemies and they just come in and kill everybody. God just wanted us to say, I'm so protective of your eternal joy that even the walls of heaven are 216 feet thick and there is no evil that is ever going to harass you again. I'm gonna protect your joy forever and ever and ever. You know, our um, staff has had such a great time over the past two weeks because for the past two weeks, somewhere between two and 300 uh, police officers from uh, the city and county have been using our building as training because it does mimic what these men and women might face in a school situation, how to move through a classroom with people in the building, us. And so we have just been so blessed to have these uh, law enforcement officers training here. And can you imagine a city one day that is so perfect in beauty and joy and purity that there will be no police officers and no military at all because evil will have been totally eradicated. <sighs> you know, when my wife and I got married, she did not ask for a lot, but she did say, if you could, at night, would you lock our doors? Because my dad, that was his role in uh, my family growing up, and it just makes me feel secure. And so I've not been perfect with that. And she has shown me grace for my tiny uh, little strained brain. And, but... I can tell you right now, even though I have forgotten on some nights to lock those doors, I am so grateful that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ hung on a cross and rose from the dead so that he could build a city that will protect precious Lisa and her joy forever and ever and you as well, who believe in Christ. He will never allow anything to invade your heart and produce grief, depression, sorrow, guilt. No enemy will ever touch you again. Let's close with this and read some verses that sort of demonstrate what I just talked about. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the lamb its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. 
how glorious this is. The only people that come in and out of the city on the new earth are people who want to come and enjoy God increasingly more. The only people who come in and say, I want more joy, more glory. Let me dive deeper today into the keys, into the essence of God. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So I want to close today just by asking you, is, is your name in this book that gives you access to this joy and to this glory forever? Is there anything worth holding on to that would cause you to miss this city, this glory, this beauty, and this joy? Today, would you come as we sing? People will be to your left to pray during both of the songs to say, I want my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to live forever in that city. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.